What up, what up? Mike Young, I got stock tip Dave back in the studio. Stories that need to be told. It's been a minute since we've been back in the comedy store basement. This is absolutely my favorite place to podcast, to hunt, to broadcast, to talk, to be hanging out in. It is the uh, ultimate amazing dungeon. I looked over to the right. There's a camera. So after this podcast, starting next week, we're going on camera, Dave. You going to be all right? Oh, I'll be fine. You I'm, sure? I'm ready for it. Because Stock Tip Dave, before he ever told anyone about stock tips or ever gave tips sitting at goal eating chicken tenders, Dave had aspirations of being an actor. So he's going to be on camera starting next week. And uh, that's great because you got an audition for Wheaties coming up. Yeah, frosted mini wheats commercial. Perfect. I, I said you look like a human frosted mini wheat, so <laughs> you're gonna be you're gonna be great. But it's been a minute, and I was wondering. You know, I did a few podcasts while I was home. So where was I? I was with Bob Saget on the road, and I was in the cave writing my new piece about called Swipers about these credit card, credit card swipers. These kids that were. Uh, printing up their own, pressing up their own credit cards back in the day, and they were boosting electronics. They were getting cash out of banks. It's going to be a cool movie. We're going to hopefully be shooting in May. You'll hear more about it, but it it helps me to be gone from L.A. to get more work done, which is so weird because everyone's like, you got to be in L.A. to get your work done. I need to be out of L.A. So I was in Jersey with Saget. We played Morristown, Pennsylvania. We played uh, uh, Poconos in New York. Then we played two shows in Chicago, Crystal Lake and Thalia Hall. Then we went over to, to Detroit during a snowstorm, crazy snowstorm. 900 flights canceled. Somehow Saget and I got on a flight that did not get canceled. We made it over to Detroit, landed in a storm. He went to the hotel. I went home to tell my mom that she's not coming to the show because it's too dangerous out there with the snow. Went to the Royal Oak Music Theater in the middle of the storm. Still a thousand people showed up, which was cool. I mean, it was amazing. So, you know, Saget was, uh, he was, we were booming. And then the next day, the storm continued and we didn't know how we were going to get to Cleveland. So I had my mom's SUV even though we had like a driver that would have taken us to Cleveland. But I was like, you know what? This is just, I'm, I'm going to drive to Cleveland. So I picked up Saget in my mom's very light Honda SUV, oh, no. which is not the safest type of SUV to take He's on the road. Sliding the road? God bless Honda. I love Honda. Drove him for 12 years. I'm the king of the Accord. I saw my boy the other day. <laughs> He's like, young, where's the Honda? Everyone knows me driving Hondas, even though it's been a while. Point being, me and Bob made it to Cleveland. We played the Hard Rock Casino in the suburbs of Cleveland, Ohio. Sold out show, 1,500 people. It's very cool to see Saget having like another moment. And you see like these guys that are, you know, the the, the, the high, the, the famous dudes, you know what I mean? The, that are way up, that are up there. The, you know, Attell, Chappelle, The Rock, the, you know, Kevin Hart. Da, da, da. And I'm not saying Bob's selling tickets like Kevin Hart, but I've seen him go through like these different machinations of like we're struggling to get 1500 in a theater. And then the next, you know, couple years, a year later, boom, something ha happens with Sagan on TV and there's people packed. And whether it's like a special that comes out or Fuller House, it's always. As a and as his opener, and as I've opened for a lot of great comedians, I feel blessed to have opened for Chappelle, Dave Attell, uh, you know Bob Saget, Joe Rogan had me on the road for a year and a half. And what I kind of noticed, and I thought I'd talk a little bit about today, was there's different crowds for all these different comedians, obviously, and different styles. You know what I mean? Yeah, some are more rowdy, some are less rowdy. Exactly. Some are rowdy, some are chill. 
the Rogan crew when I was, you know, I opened for Joe Rogan. So my whole point is that there's different crowds for different comedians. And there, for me as an opener, it just taught me the ropes. Like I have been through the wars with all different characters, with all different types of crowds. Joe Rogan's got the MMA crowd following him too. Big time. And I was with Rogan. So I'll just dive right into it. So I was with Rogan probably 10 years ago when he was just starting to do, he'd been an MMA fan forever. He already was in that mix. We were on the road. He had us going into MMA gyms. And him and his boy Eddie Bravo. Eddie Bravo was like a you know legendary, like a world class jujitsu grappler who was like the first American to tap out a Gracie, you know, jujitsu legend. And so we would, and you know, you're sitting across from this guy, and I gotta be honest, he looks like you. You know what I mean? I mean, you're not an imposing figure, Dave. No. You know what I mean? You literally, I mean. You, Good looking kid, but no offense, no one's scared of you when they see you. Oh, of course I'm not. You look at Eddie Bravo, same thing. Nobody's afraid when they look at this guy. Did you get in the ring with them? Hell no. Hell no. <laughs> I would go to these boxing gyms, I mean these MMA gyms, and there'd be like the giant grappling mat, right? And this is 10, 12 years ago with Rogan when guys like Mark Coleman and like Chuck Liddell was just coming up and becoming a legend. And Tito Ortiz, I remember him in the mix. But we would meet these guys and... And I'd be in the gym, and I would just be hitting the heavy bag. That's all I did. And Eddie Bravo, and I'll never forget, man, like, you know, you don't know what somebody's skill level is when they're just talking about it or you're just hearing about it, but then you see it. And I saw Eddie Bravo, who came in with swagger, because he's like a, like a smooth-looking dude who does not seem imposing at all. And he goes in, he gets on the mat, and he gets in with this guy who's probably 40 pounds heavier than him. And the dude's got like a little bit of an attitude and he's got a gi on. And Eddie, I want to say, wasn't even like wearing a gi, like had like a pink T-shirt on. And he gets over there and he starts just giving this guy the business, just like handling this dude. You know what I mean? And this dude's like a pro fighter also. See, I never made it past the orange belt. Yeah, no, you're not. You're not chopping a piece of wood today. (laughs) You're not, you know, you're not kicking anybody we're going to have to have you protection. You can't be in a fight. I mean, not that you can't fight, but I don't think Orange Belt is going to help no, anywhere in L.A. No, I got a pretty funny picture from a tournament I was in. You should see it. We'll see it, and we'll, everyone will see it because we'll put it up on video next week. <laughs> I want to see a picture of you with an Orange Belt. Listen, I took karate. I took boxing. I never took MMA. I never took mixed martial art. Never took jujitsu. I always said that like, when me and my brother would fight every day for 10 years – in my opinion, I I just I learned every move you could learn in a basement. You know what I mean? I didn't know it have a name for a move. I just knew that if my brother had me in an arm lock, I could pinch his I would pinch his back near his kidney and he would let go. That's all I knew. So my fighting was limited in like technical experience, but I probably was four hundred and twelve and ninety-nine but before I was ten years old, because me and my brother went at it every day. However, that being said, being on the road with Rogan, I see Eddie Bravo twist this guy in a freaking pretzel. And I was like, okay, this dude weighs about 145 pounds, twisted up a 190 pounder. You know what I mean? While kind of making fun of him in like a condescending sort of way just to let the dude know I'm the man. So we were around characters like that on the road for Rogan. So... It was di- way different than opening for Saget. I mean, on the road with Rogan was rock and roll shit. It was the first time I saw, well, first of all, let's be real. At that time, Joe was coming off Fear Factor. Fame. I remember that he show. He was very famous. It was huge. 
know what I mean? So we were playing like the House of Blues in Vegas, 1500, Mandalay Bay, 1500. You know, we'd go to Denver, we'd go to Atlanta, sell out the whole weekend, every single show. So I was blessed to have opened in those rooms for Rogan. And it was a young crowd. It was a, there was gangs of fighting type dudes. Every now and then some idiot would want to challenge Rogan just because they, you know, wouldn't believe that he was as bad as he was. And I remember seeing Rogan like we were like in Denver and some big football meathead. Did I tell you this already? No, but Rogan looks like he's pretty strong. Rogan will kick the comedy store down. <laughs> he could kick a wall off the comedy store. He could chip the wall. And and he's got gorilla hands. Like he's short in his like I don't know if he's five eight, nine, I don't know how tall he is, but he has hair on his hands. And and <laughs> if you have hair on your hands and you have hands like that, he was sort of supposed to be six nine and just maybe something. Yeah, I don't know how it, he just didn't grow taller. But yes, he'll rip your head off of your shoulders. And he, but he couldn't be nicer, you know what I mean, while doing it. Anyway, his crowd would be tatted up, neck tattoos, badass dudes. We'd be in the club after his shows with like. Seven dudes that you just don't want to mess with. I remember the Gracies had a cousin or a sister or something. She was beautiful. And just toying around. I'm like, ha ha. I'm like, so you think like you could just twist me around and you know what I mean? You could choke me out if you wanted. And within eight seconds, she had me turned around and my oxygen level was being cut off on a dance floor. And so, yes, I could have gotten beat up by a Gracie sister, cousin. I don't know what it was. I didn't go there. Did not try to get her back to the room. This was one girl I was like, yo, I will never do anything except marry you without sleeping with you. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> she, I ain't even. She's probably been training since she was like two. Training since she's two. All her cousins can fucking pull my ear off with a pinky. You know what I mean? I, I want no part of it. But the crowd with Rogan was an edgy, sexy, badass crowd. You know what I mean? And I'll just be real. I was in. I had just broken up with my girl of five years at the time, and I was in full-blown single mic mode, and it was like game on. I mean, it was, I was, the dream in comedy, yes, being a part of the dream of comedy is rocking a stage in front of 10,000, but the other part of the dream is the rock and roll shit. Go back to the hotel, before I eat a club sandwich, I'm with some sexy girl in Atlanta, and I'm just happy to be there. So I did it all. But the crowds with Rogan were distinctly young, hip, edgy. Chicks were hot as can be. And Joe was in a relationship at the, was, was with his girl at the time. And so I would, the fall off was just coming at me. So you got, you got everybody else. I mean, it was like, yo, sorry, Joe's not available. I'm in room, room 302, and I'll get you a club sandwich. No problem. Not a bad place to be. Not a No, great place to be. Great hotels. And the thing about Rogan... A lot of people, you know, they'll see him, you know, because he's 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 he believes in what he says. I mean, the dude has conviction, but he always took care of me as his opener. Like I didn't have to think about anything. He would put me in first class. I'd be sitting right next to him on a first class in, on every plane. Boom. The the money was already, you know, discussed with his manager. Bam. Money laid out. I knew exactly what I was getting. Hotel in the same hotel. It was high. It was high level, professional, organized. You know what I mean? So it was like, and that went on for a year and a half, and that's where I met Red Band. You know Red Band, Brian, who like runs Red Band. He's like a big internet, you know, Red Band. They call him. Look him up. Stock Tip Dave's just getting introduced to this whole world, but Red Band's like, I knew him when he was Brian, heartbroken on the road, 
going through a breakup, I was walking around West Palm Beach fucking trying to get him to like be okay. You know what I mean? He was basically crying on my shoulder while Duncan Trussell was in the back with a puppet. Oh man. Yeah. And we were ha- we had an amazing run, but Brian was he was Joe's like tech guy. He understood technology. Like this kid was walking around with a backpack full of wires and computers. I don't know if he was hacking into I don't know what he was doing, but he was smarter than us with all that tech shit and Unbeknownst to me, he wanted to be a comedian. I had no idea for years later, until years later, that he even wanted to do comedy. So the road with Rogan was me, Joe, Brian, who was the tech wizard running Joe's website, Tate Fletcher, Tate, who is now like an action hero in movies. Literally, he's been in like 40 movies. He's a badass legend. I love the guy. Tate was our security at the time. Oh, wow. What movie he's been in? You got to look it up. Like, I think he was like Expendables. Just look up Tate. You'll see him. He's got a long beard. He's MMA. He was on, um, what's the MMA f- TV show? Um, fighter, UFC, oh, Unleashed, about, whatever. Yeah, they all compete to become the next fighter. Yes, yes, yes. What's that called? UFC I can't champ. remember the name, but I know they all live in a house. They train together. They spar against each other. And then the winner gets put in the MMA. Exactly. Just the a UFC. gang of human, able to read animals, ready to kill each other under one roof. I would never want to live in that house. I don't even want to be in that house. No. A lot of, you know lot of I mean? drama and fighting. That house would be called Mike Young jerks off somebody to be safe. I don't <laughs> want to be around a headlock. Don't put me in a headlock. I don't want to be near a headlock. Don't put me in a headlock. We're no, I'm not doing it. And Rogan used to fuck, he used to mess with me in the gyms because I would only hit the heavy bag and lift weights. And I never lifted like heavy weights. Every now and then he'd just look over and be like, you're not doing anything for your body. What are you doing? You're not lifting any. You're barely lifting anything. Oh, you did hurt yourself today, you said. I walked into one of my own comedy bits today. I was making kale, which is just bitch enough, and I turned to put the kale in a pot, and I didn't, like, pivot. I, I, pull, I hurt my back. I hurt my back putting kale in a pot. All right? So if there's anything lamer than that, you can call me up. Ironically enough, I was watching Cat Williams' special last night, and he talked about when, you know, I do a bit of my act about, like, I yawned and got stuck. He actually took it to another level. He's like, yo, one time I yawned and pulled all the muscles above my ribs. And he was talking about how he ripped all the muscles. He was in a body cast from yawning. Oh, man. So kudos to Kat for taking it to the next level. But Life on the Road with Joe, which is kind of the theme I wanted to kick off with today, just talking about different styles, different you know types of crowds. But Life on the Road with Joe, I learned so much because, first of all, we did two shows a night, so you're getting your work in. You know what I mean? And I'm coming with my new material and I'm getting it in and I'm getting the work done. And like by the end of the weekend, you're like at another level of your stand up, you know? And I would do 20 minutes, Duncan would do 10 up front, and then Joe would do his hour. And we were just crushing the road and it was a blast. And then boom, time went on and I was off the road with Joe. I was doing my own thing. And, uh, then you go. Then I got to open for Dave Chappelle for like 14 shows. Oh wow! How was that? That was another level of beauty. You know what I mean? That was like another. He was. We were in Sacramento doing the punchline. Then we were in San Fran. San Fran doing the punchline down on Battery Street. And this was probably eight years ago or nine years ago. This was after Rogan because Chappelle and I. I don't, I don't know if we had the same manager. Or, I forgot. I think we did. My manager somehow got me to open for Chappelle. It was like a gift. Plus, I was always looking to see who was coming to that city next. So if I was like doing like a middle spot, like in San Fran, I would go check the improv schedule. 
and I'd check every improv schedule. Oh, wow. And I would look and see who do I know that knows somebody that knows Chappelle or who do I know that knows somebody that knows, you know, uh, Donnell Rawlings or just whatever headliner was there that week. I would try to find a connect to and be like, yo, do you mind if I open for you? And I would either just, you know, make a little bit of enough money just to survive. But it was more about just getting the stage time. But opening for Chappelle, as you can imagine, first of all, he had a dog that he was that was called Whitey. <laughs> and like he made him like part of his act, basically. So every show in the middle of his act, he'd be like, come here, Whitey. And all of a sudden his little dog, Whitey, would come out of the green room and run up on stage and he'd hang out with Chappelle. That's hilarious. Yeah, no, his show is great. I used to watch that all the time. Chappelle Legendary, show. yeah, classic show. And how many years ago did his Chappelle show come out? Like seven years ago? And then it lasted for three or four? I think, it, I want to say it was on air between like 2002 to 2005. Was it? Yeah. Because that was, a, was a, it was, I think I was a sophomore in college when it came out. Oh, wow. Because then that means that I went on the road with Chappelle right then. Right Right, right around there. Then it was more than nine, ten years ago. It was probably twelve years. My, 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 my blending of years is is not good. You know, what I mean, I, I just don't, I don't know what year anything happened. But being on the road with Chappelle was different because he had like the chill, the people that appreciated, loved comedy, stand up comedy, the art of it. They would like hang on his every word, and he was so genius that I remember after every show calling back to my friends or my brother and being like, "Yo, you gotta hear what Chappelle said." I'd be just quoting him. You know what I mean? I'd just be quoting his stuff. And working with him was amazing because he was so cool. We would go out to eat afterwards and just chop it up and, like, talk, you know. And, and I always had a problem because I was a fan. And this happens with me, man. Even, like, my friends of 20 years, like, you know, I've been friends with Leo for 20 years. You know what I mean? But there was always, like, this little feeling of being a fan also. Yeah, I can, you know what I mean? Yeah, I know what you mean. And like, we're, we're boys. That's my boy. I got his back all day long, you know? But in the beginning, when I first was starting to hang out and play basketball with those guys and do my thing, I was still like a little bit timid because I was like, yo, bro, I love your work. You know what I mean? Like, how'd you do that accent? That's what I want to know. How'd you, what's your, what's your craft about? Like, let's talk about that before we go get laid up at the house, you know? <laughs> I mean, that's understandable, though. You want to learn from the best. You want to learn from the best. And I feel blessed to have been under the tutelage and, like, been able to watch and work before some of the best in the business, man. And I don't often, like, reflect on it. And I think I got to start reflecting more on, like, these amazing opportunities that I've been able to have. And so I think about the style between Rogan's audience, you know, and being in front of, like, Chappelle's people. And what it gave me was like an ability and like a, a just like that learning curve of like how to finesse different audiences. Obviously, Chappelle was a little bit at the time, it was fully mixed, but it was like a little more with an urban swag. You know, they would come out and, and see him. And I remember opening for Chappelle and we were in San Fran and these hoods from Oakland were there. Like some gangsters, real gangster type dudes. And they had like their little honeys, like their little neighborhood, you know, like the girls from the neighborhood that were like the gangsters chicks, whatever. And they were like, yo, Mike, come hang with us. We're, we're taking you out, bro. And so I was like, hell yeah, let's do this. All the, Next thing I know, I'm in a car and I'm in the back of a car. Two hoods driving, the little cutie from the neighborhoods in the back. She and I are like getting along great. I don't know who's, she's nobody's girl. She's like, it's like out of a movie from the 50s. They take me to Oakland. 
Now I'm in the real hood. They're like, yo, this is murder corner. This is dead or dead. I'm like, um, <laughs> do you guys think I could take the car back to my hotel? Long story short, they take me to this crazy party. Kid Capri. You know who Kid Capri is? Yeah, Legendary DJ. Kid Capri was DJing on Def Jam forever. I mean, he's Kid Capri. He's a legend. Uh, he was the DJ in a warehouse. In Oakland? In Oakland. 400 of the toughest looking dudes I ever saw in my life. I'm standing there with like the neighborhood hood chick, you know what I mean, who's a beautiful girl, but like protected by the gangsters. I'm with her, Kid Capri. I look over, he's like getting into it with somebody over money. He needs to get his money for the night. Everybody that was security, they didn't have like a security jacket on. They just were security. They were just all in black t-shirts, rolled up sleeves with no like law by law they were not security. It was just it was a hood party and Eventually, I was like, I said to the guy, bro, do you mind if I take the car? And he let me take his car with his girl back to my hotel. And I ended up like, I didn't sleep with her, but I ended up like getting together with like the cutie of the Oakland hood. You know what I mean? Because I'm just, I was good with it. And, and it was just, I made it back safely. But that was more of a Chappelle opening experience. Did you walk into the party? Do you, do you ever just make it to the outside? Oh, no, or? walked into the party. Yeah. Fully in the party, had a blast for 20 minutes, but then got a little nervous, knew I had a show the next night, wanted to make sure I got home, got my club sandwich and my quesadilla. You know what I mean? I would have done the same thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You probably would have not gone in the party. Yeah, I probably would have like rolled up and been like, no. You'd have pulled out a picture of yourself with an orange <laughs> belt and been like, I mean, I don't know if you guys know this, but like, here's me in it with an orange belt. I should be able to come in. Done I'll, a I'll be kick or something. Yeah. Oakland's a rough like there's parts of Oakland that are just very known to be rough. So that was the Chappelle experience. And the funny thing is when Chappelle blew up crazy superstar from the Chappelle show, I was like, oh, maybe Dave doesn't remember me. Like I just thought that even when we hung every day for 14 shows in San Francisco, Sacramento, in my mind, I'm like, well, he's so busy. Maybe he just forgot his open, you know, maybe he forgot. But then like, you know, time went by and every time I see him, he's just like giving me all love. So you know, you think people won't remember you because they get to a certain level, but Chappelle was is one of the coolest dudes, and in my opinion, his where he's at right now in his career, he's going to the plateau. He's going to Mount Rushmore of comedy. He already is, but I think his last special. Did you watch his last special? Um, the first part of it, yeah. You didn't see the part that was in the comedy store? No, I saw like the first half an hour. Oh man, Dave! I need to go bro, back and watch it. If we're gonna put you in the game, bro, you got to get up on the game. Chappelle's last special, in my opinion, and it's only my opinion, was genius. He was just knocking it out of the park, one joke after another, one story after another. And the whole time, I don't know if he's smoking a cigarette or a vape pen. I don't know what it is. I know when we were on the road, he was smoking weed all day, no problem. No problem. Out in the field, before we go on stage, there's like a courtyard at the, you know, in front of the punchline. There's a courtyard there. He's blowing, he's blowing it out there. No nonstop. Didn't care. Got high. I mean, he used to do specials where he was smoking like a joint on the special, so it might have been that. I think it was, but that whole experience was a more laid back, definite, chill, work on your craft type vibe. You know, working with Chappelle, and I met his brother in the green room, and I remember, I wrote this movie. I wrote an idea for a movie 10, 12, 13 years ago. The idea was that two bank robbers come outside, they their their getaway car is gone and they rob an ambulance. 
And in the back of the ambulance, Chappelle had gotten hit by a car. I, it was, I wrote it in my mind for like a Chappelle or a Kevin Hart or a, a Chris Tucker at the time. Like a, you know, it was, it was written for a black actor who was hilarious, funny. And I just, I had the idea. And um, I think I want to tell those, tell Mike to, to, to turn that down. Do you hear that music over there a little bit? No. Okay. Um, but I had the idea. So in my hustle mentality, which is my all, I'm always thinking about like moving forward or around. I was like, Dave, I got a great idea for a movie for you. You know what I mean? This is Dave's already a star. You know what I mean? Here's his opener who he kind of barely knows. I'm like, Dave, I got a great idea. Do you want to read this script? And he was just firm as could be. He's like, no, nah, man, I got my own thing. I got my own thing I'm pitching. And I think that that was probably the Chappelle show that he was about to start doing. So basically, I think you made the right choice, oh, Dave. Yeah. He went from half-baked to the Chappelle show. Exactly. You could have really, you could have been playing in a, in a Mike Young independent half a million dollar movie. Why wouldn't you do that? But he was super cool. Great experience working with him. His crowds were laid back, chill. All my experiences on the road with him were, you know, everything was cool. A couple fun hood moments, you know. And so I just feel like, I felt like I wanted to talk about like the different, you know, the different okay. styles. You know, David Tell, edgier, a little more darker, you know, of a vibe, of a crowd. You know, almost like, not hipsters, but like more like comedy nerds who love the art of a joke. Because Attell is a straight genius. You know what I mean? His joke writing ability is next level. You know, I'll never, I'm, he used to do that d joke about like, you ever wrestle with your dog? He's like, wrestling with your dog until you come. <laughs> that doesn't make you gay, right? <laughs> I mean, he had a million of them like that. He's a, he's also somebody that I used to, uh, I would call home afterwards and be like, you got to hear what, what Attell's saying. So working with Attell, and I remember one night in Sacramento, me and Attell got like two girls back to the house, like some house in a neighborhood in Sacramento. And like there was like a futon and Attell was like trying to get with his girl on a futon. And I was upstairs in a room with another girl. And like it was like 430 in the morning and neither of us were really getting anywhere. And he was like, Mike, let's go. Next thing I know, me and David tell are on my life, bro. We are walking at four in the morning through a neighborhood. We didn't have ways on our phone. There was no map that we really knew. Wait, what we city just was started. Was that what city was it? Sacramento. Oh, that's right, Sacramento. In a neighborhood in Sacramento, me and David tell are just walking back towards the hotel, hoping to find it. And we did, bro. We walked probably two miles at four in the morning. And I remember calling him the next day, and I was like, Dave, you want to go see a movie? He's like, I don't see movies in the day. I'm like, what do you do all day? He's like, I write all day. And that's where I was like, okay, now I need to step my game up to another level. Like the guy that I'm looking up to, his discipline, next level, that's what I want to be. I mean, you've got it. You've, you've told me a couple of times you're like, I've been in a cave just writing. So you like, you like get yourself isolated. No doubt. Lately, I mean, the last bunch of years, yes, I've disciplined myself. I am definitely, I give my, you know, I got to say I am truly disciplined I will knock out my 10 pages a day or whatever they are. Um, but it was pe it was moments like that that would take me to the next level. Like it was, I didn't, you know, you could read all the motivational books you want, but when you see it firsthand and you talk to someone like an Atel who you look up to big time and he tells you that he spends all day writing in the cave, it just makes you go, I need to be writing in the cave. So you just reminded me of that video I saw at Shayla Buff do where he's just yelling, just do it like 10 times in a row. I know, but is he the best example of just do it? No. Is he? No. I don't know. That guy seems cracked out. 
I mean, I never met him, but he seems very talented actor. But I, he's not who I'm following. But I'm glad you. It's next generation shit, Dave. Maybe good for you. You follow Shia LaBeouf. Just do it. Just do it. <laughs> Everybody is. Everyone's on some motivational stuff right now. Everyone's. Everyone's motivationally speaking. You know what I mean? Everyone's on that Tony Robbins, you know, motivational speaker train. I saw Rogan had um, David Goggins on, who's doing motivational speaking. Um, you know, Tim Ferriss's book, everyone's, maybe I'll start a motivational speaking. My boy Jesse does motivational speaking. You know, if you, if you, if you look up the hundred mile man, you'll see Jesse Itzler and his seminars and he's, he's unbelievable. He's a natural at it. You know what I mean? It was like, I feel like he had to go through his hip hop rap phase, his create mult, you know, gazillion dollar company phase to get to what he's really finding his niche at and that is motivating people so for some people i think it is a great calling i heard there's like a couple comedians out there doing motivational shit but i'm not come on come on you know what i mean like come on what do you you know the the comedy wasn't going great you had to start motivating i I forgot who they are but i heard there's like a couple comedians that are like motivational speakers i was about about to ask which ones they were which ones they were i i i think i know the dude's name but i actually don't want to say it because i could be wrong I just don't want to say it because I, I just don't know. But come on, bro. So Rogan, specific crowds, specific experiences. Chappelle, specific crowds, specific experiences. Attell, same thing. And now I've been with Saget. Yeah, that's going to be totally different. And my next move is I'm going off to headline on my own after the after I do a, this run with Bob. You know what I mean? And I've headlined on my own a bunch of times, many times. But... I don't have the, you know, the presence, not the presence. I don't have like the internet presence. I don't have the following, you know, I'm not famous in the stand-up world, you know? And it's like, my goal was never fame. It's always been to be the best at what I'm doing. And I feel like I'm just coming up to that because for, you know, the last eight years, nine years, I've been not derailed from comedy, but just so a lot of those hours that could have been put into stand-up were put into writing and directing. And so you So you're well versed. I'm well versed, but I want to be the best stand up I can be. Like I know and and I wish you could find it. If you could find the KLOS interview with Barry Katz, did you find it? I was trying to I need to find where it's actually recorded so I can download it. I just need right. to It's do recorded more at the it's it's re, it's recorded at the KLO, KLOS studios. Let me see if they sent it to me. But my whole point is that he he went on the air last night and was so complimentary to me that I didn't even know how to handle the con- like. I ran into Barry Katz in the hallway of KLOS. Right, let me see that he sent it. Let's see. I did not get it yet, but I did get notes back on my movie. Uh oh. Let's see. I got busy. I read the script. It's a crazy ride. So much happening. What's the next step for the movie? Um. Is that a good note? Never stops moving. Don't worry what the next step for the movie is. We're going to make the movie. That's the next step. Um, so anyway, my point is I'm at KLOS Studios last night. I'm going on the air at 12.15. Before I went on, I saw Barry Katz. Barry Katz, legendary manager, comedy manager, handled Dane Cook, handled Chappelle, handled some of the biggest comics in the game, has produced movies, has produced Netflix uh, specials. He's a, he's a legend. He really is. In this game of comedy, the dude knows his shit. You know, he's very, he, he's, a, he's a character. You know what I mean? When you talk to him, you, all the years I've known him, I've never had a lot of conversation with him. I never knew if I was on his radar or not. 
But last night, last night, man, blew my mind. Do you mind if I toot my own horn for a second? Yeah, go for it. I don't toot my own horn. I just don't. But I see him in the hallway, and he goes, Mike, I saw you at Hermosa on Friday night. You stole the show. Out of all 10 comedians, you stole the show. Do you mind if I talk about you on the air when I go on? I said, no, bro, I don't mind at all. He goes on the air, and he literally says... I was at the Hermosa Comedy and Magic Club, and I want your audience to know that if they don't know Mike Young, they need to know Mike Young. They should. And I would rather play this on his audio than say this myself because it's just not right to say it. It just feels weird saying it. But to come from a guy, get a compliment from him, it made my year. And I'll tell you why. Because he's seen every comedian. He's seen every act. He knows what's what. And he said the coolest, nicest things about my act. And he was like... You can go on stage and you know you're going to get laughs if you're going to talk about your ass and you're this and you're taking a band, you're doing this and you're dirty. And then he goes, but if you can tell the truth and you're making people laugh, you win the game. And he goes, Mike Young went on stage in Hermosa and told his truth of what he was going through. And he is an amazing. I mean, he's saying this. He's calling me like an amazing comedian. At first, I was like, "Is he high? Like, you know, what, what is he? Do? Is well, he on something? What's well, going between on?" Between that and your movie getting on DirecTV, it's probably you're setting up to be a big year. I think I think it's setting up to be a good year for me. I hope. Knock on wood. If I don't pull I my mean, back out with broccoli, my dad literally randomly called me. He was like, "I just saw Mike's movie on DirecTV. It was it was awesome." Oh man, that, that means a lot. By the way, that means a lot, man. When 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 the regular people who watch movies, that's who you want to love your movie. Yeah, I don't give a shit if an executive, you know what I mean. I mean, you care because like they'll get you another job, but it's like your movie is for people who are not in the business. Your yeah. movie is for the world to laugh and have fun. And exactly. when you get compliments from people who, you know, like your dad, and he watches a lot of movies and he's very picky. Does he? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, that makes me feel great. That makes me feel great. But Barry was so complimentary that it felt great. It like re- what 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 it did was it reassured me. That regardless of how much I'm writing and how much I'm, you know, the movie stuff, whatever I'm doing over there, regardless, stand up is my is my heart, man. And it's like I am going to do a special this year. I don't care if I pay for it myself. I don't care if it ends up. with I don't care where it goes. I am going to shoot my special this year. And so in those few hours that I have available when I have energy, they're going into my stand up, you know, and I am just getting that hour tight. And I've already got an hour, but I need to just, I want to make it like, I just want it to be all me, all heart, all soul, just blow it out, no bullshit, and just tell the truth for one hour and see what I come up with. And so, Barry's interview on KLOS, and if you can get it, just look up Fraser Smith Talks to Barry Katz on KLOS 95.5, 95.5 in Los Angeles, it's the rock station. And it just like reassured me and put me in such a good mood, man. And I have a problem accepting compliments. I just don't know what's wrong with me. I got to go see a therapist, I think. <laughs> like I have a problem. It's a, it's, a, it's why I'm not good in relationships. I'll break up with a girl or she'll break and, and I'll be like, I didn't even think you liked me. She's like, I was in love. I was doing that. I'm like, what are you talking about? You never even called me for four days. What? I'm oblivious to certain things. I've got major flaws. That's a whole nother podcast. Major flaws when it comes to intimacy. I don't, I'm not good. I'm not good. You know what I mean? I'm good on the road with Chappelle and Attell and Saget. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, I'll course. get into a triple team with three strippers in Phoenix. <laughs> one, I'm one of the best at it. I mean, I, lo- I have a great time. I write it down. Everyone's upset with me. But 
But when it comes to intimacy, I got to get it figured out because, you know, I'm, I'm just I'm not I'm not paying attention to the signs. You know what I mean? Like a girl will buy me a birthday gift and all of a sudden something will show up and then a book and like the nicest things. And I'm like, this girl doesn't even she needs to start paying attention to me. I'm like, I'm missing all the signs. <laughs> yeah, anyway, got to look for him. Got to look for him. Thanks. Stock tip. Dave doesn't just give you stock tips. He'll give you relationship one 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 sentence bites. One sentence. Two two word bites. <laughs> but so those are different road experiences, right? Chappelle, Attell, Rogan. And then you got Saget. And now I got Saget. And Bob's has been one of the it's been one of the best rides. And we've been doing it for seven, eight years. So you're getting all the full house crowd too. Full house, stunning young women in their mid twenties, late twenties, early thirties. Bob's audience is 19 to 60. You know what I mean? There's 60 year old women that grew up his age. You know what I mean? That were watching him on TV. And now there's new, there's people that have been watching Full House because it's been in syndication for 100 years. Yeah, that show was out like 1990 to like 96 or something, like a long time. Exactly. So if you were born watching it or you just got hip to it, there's never been a time in since then that Full House has not been on television. So his audience, and out of everyone on that show, you know, Dave Coulier is a comedian too, but Bob is really known, I think, more in the stand-up world. You know, Coulier does his thing, but I think Saget is actually, he was a, a big stand-up before the show, and he's continued on. And so opening for him, I could tell you 30 crazy, you know what I mean? We've yeah. had some crazy. And see, nobody expects a stand-up because he's got such the, the clean-cut image from the show. Exactly. And he's the complete opposite when he's a stand-up, so he always takes people off guard. And it's it's the grand irony of Bob Saget. He plays America's favorite corny-ass dad walking around, cleaning up the table, dusting off the chair. Let me cook <laughs> you a Hot Pocket. You know what I mean? And then he's on stage like, I fucked a goat Thursday. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's... It's why it works for him, by the way. It's why he draws, he draws an edgy audience. You know, what I mean? who already knows how dark he is in his comedy. And he had, he told me that before he ever did Full House, he was a he was an edgy comedian. You know, he was a mo- mostly a guitar comic. He started as a guitar comic, but he's been doing stand up now for forty five years, something like that, like something crazy. You know, forty five years. And so I remember he he uh, I went to one of his acts where he was talking about a story of I guess Ronnie Dangerfield, like approaching when he was way young, like a beginning comic. Yeah, and that's that's how you know Bob's a legend. He really is a legend, man. I mean, for all the neurosis that he delves into and all the shit that he goes through, whatever, the guy's a legend. And I tell you that because he got respect from Rodney Dangerfield. You know what I mean? He's friends with Norman Lear, the greatest television writer of all time, who's created the greatest TV shows of all time. He gets respect. David Steinberg, who's an old school comedy legend who worked with like the Smothers Brothers. You know what I mean? His good friends are like John Mayer, like guys that respect him and and they respect him for the craft, for the mind. I mean, the guy's got a crazy great comedy I mean, mind. He called John Mayer when he was on stage here at the comedy store and he got on the phone. Exactly. Oh, you were here for that. Yeah. Yeah. Saget's on stage at the comedy store. He calls Mayer. Oh no, Mayer called him and he answered. Or did he call Mayor? No, I believe he called him in the middle of his act, and he actually answered the phone, and I was like, no way. Oh, because after that, we actually went over, and that's been one of the fun things about working with Bob. I've had some great, fun experience. I put him in I put him in a stand-up guy, because he was just fun and great in, in the movie anyway. And he played, I had him play like a depressed guitar, com- uh, guitar country act, who sang songs about stalking and all kinds of weird shit. But 
I've gotten to meet some really cool people that are his friends. So like we'll hang out with Mayer, who's like a guitar legend, you know. And because of my relationship with Bob, we'll be we went backstage to the Grateful Dead concert, you know, when Mayer was performing with the Dead, and you go backstage at the Dead concert, and you know it's very chill, and all these old Dead, you know, the Grateful Dead are still there, the guys are in their seventies, and you know there's Mayer doing his own thing. See, now that makes sense because my college in Orange County, John Mayer showed up with one of the Grateful Dead person to a to a college party. When I think uh, the guy from the Grateful Dead. His daughter goes to my, or his granddaughter goes to my college, and they showed up together at like a sorority event. No way. Yeah. Like this year? Yeah, like what? like like within the last eight to ten months, and everybody was like stunned. There was like newsletters coming out from my college about them showing up together. That's hilarious. And by the way, Mayor would do that show, but a sorority party, good for him. Yeah, it's it Mayor's you know down in Orange County. Yeah, if he's not getting with Taylor Swift, he's going to a sorority in Orange County <laughs> just to find a lookalike. But th- but working with Bob has been like a whole nother level. You know, just the people I got to meet, the you know, the treatment you get on the road and the crowds are always packed. I mean, packed houses, you know, what I mean, 2000 seaters on a stage that, you know, revolves like really cool, exciting stuff for a comedian, you know, and I don't ever want to take this shit for granted. And that's why I'm talking about it, because I do want to reflect and appreciate and be grateful how lucky I am to have worked with all these different people. And I've had wild ass rocking because Sagan will go to bed. He's in bed at twelve thirty. Not me. <laughs> I'm hitting the streets. When I land in a city, first I walk around the city every time just to feel out where I'm at. Where am I? Straight to the nightlife. Not no, not even that. Just to know where I'm at for real. Like I like to know where like the restaurant is, the good restaurant. Where's the coffee shop? I like to feel out my time, my city. And Bob, he's he'll be sleeping all day. He'll sleep all day. He's got work to do. You know, he's got a family. He's, he's got a full life. Full house, full life. <laughs> but I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm floating. I'm floating through life, no strings. You know what I mean? So I'm like rolling through the city, you know, checking everything out. I'll go to a museum, hang out. But working with Bob's been amazing because they've always been young, cool, hip crowds. You know, the obvious shit is like the rock and roll shit. See, I feel like you guys should go to Montreal for a show. I, we, well, I played Montreal last year. I, I did Montreal, the comedy festival, and we should go to Montreal. That's a great idea. Maybe you can book it for us. Oh, yeah, see, who, see who's over there. All right. Can you imagine if you just became a booker, like, tomorrow? You're yep. like, I'd do it. It'd be awesome. You're like, Mike, can I talk to you for a sec? Yeah, what's up, Dave? Um, I got an offer of $55,000 from a Montreal. Uh, there's a company in Montreal that wants to book you in Saget. Can you call Bob? And he'll do it, and we'll go. And that's, that's good money for Montreal. We'll, we'll go. Let me know if you book that. All right, I'll try to. Thanks, man. I want to try to get back into Montreal again this year. I did it last year. It was such a blast, man. I had so much fun. Um, but uh, working with Saget, again, different vibe. You know what I mean? A um, lot of girls come to the Bob shows. They really do. Like girls in their late 20s and 30s and 40s, they're coming to the show. And I have had some wild ass times. I cannot tell a lie. You know, triple team by three strippers. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, it just happened out of nowhere. Came off stage in Tempe. You know, these girls are like, what are you and Bob doing? I'm like, he's going home to eat chicken wings. I got (laughs) nothing to do. They're like, we want to play. I'm like, so do I. I feel safe with you guys. Game on. Game on. Next thing I know, I am with three dancers. I'll be real. In a condominium in Tempe. And I'm stretching out like I'm going about to play men's league hockey. Because I know that (laughs) if this goes down, I need to be stretched out. And ready to go. And I had one of the greatest nights of my comedy life. 
And that was due to opening for Bob Saget in I mean, Tempe. They're wild in Tempe. This uh, Arizona State. Yo, Tempe Improv in its heyday when this guy Dan Murr used to run the Tempe Improv. Dan Murr was like, I love Dan Murr, man. Rest in peace, Dan Murr. He, he passed away a year ago, two years ago. And I was actually bummed out and shocked at how many comics like didn't like Dan that would talk shit about him, talk negative about him. <clears throat> but the guy ran the best comedy club in the country, straight up. He might have been mean at times to his staff. He might have been cracking the whip too much on his people. But the guy came in a suit every night, ready to run his spot. And he was like this P.T. Barnum type of character who just loved comedy as much as the comedians. And he loved comedians. So I never had beef with him. And he would always take me out in Tempe. And like he knew everybody in Arizona, like Phoenix, the big money people in Scottsdale. Next thing I know, I'm like at the president of Live Nation's house in the oh, wow. yeah, like in the hills of Scottsdale. And the guy's got some weird invention that's like a, a instrument that like operates on lasers. Have you seen this thing? No. It's shaped like a horseshoe, and you just go like this, ring, like you throw your finger in the middle of it, or like you go like this and you strum it like a guitar, but there's no strings. Wow, I'm gonna I, see that now. Yo, I don't even know if it's out yet. This was at the uh, the guy who was like vice president or president of Live Nation at the time. And we go to his house another time I'm performing in Tempe. And he's got Nils Lofgren from Bruce Springsteen's E Street Band. Wow. I think that's how you say his name, Nils Niles. But he is playing guitar and singing songs in the living room. And so that was when I was opening for Saget. And Saget didn't want to go out. You know, he didn't want to go out. He'd lay low, chill. The, you know, I'd go right out into the deep dark night you know and <laughs> i just did everything to gotta, a point i ain't gonna lie you take know what advantage I mean? of it while you can i'm gonna be honest man because i need to purge these demons but i did it all on the road you know as far like I, i'm not drugs were never my thing you know i'd smoke pot once in a while whatever but and drink my tequila but i was never like into like the late night drug scene but if the girls wanted to hang out and party and take me to a party somewhere i was down i was just open you know yeah. What was your tequila choice again? I think someone mentioned it to me the other day. Don Julio and Yeho? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, which I have. By the way, I'm 57 days not drinking. Oh, that's impressive. I haven't had a drink in 57 days, Dave. I mean, it, it helps that goal is not open right now, but it, you know, hopefully goal is going to come back soon, March Madness. I'm give or take nine, nine, ten days. Yeah, yeah. What do you mean, me give or take? No, me give or take nine or ten days without a drink. Oh, really? Are you trying not to drink? Well, I don't go out that much anymore, so. Are you saving money already? Yeah, paying off some bills. Yeah, it's amazing. You don't drink, you save thousands of dollars by oh, yeah. not drinking. It's, you know? It gets expensive. It adds up. For sure. Absolutely. Um, so, anyway, the road the road was sagging. Now, 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 now I feel like, because now stories are starting to come back to me about things that happen on the road. And I've already told the story about how I got jumped one time in West Palm Beach. That was a terrible road story. But, like, if you're just cool and you just roll with the punches and you kind of watch your back, you're usually going to be fine. And, like, uh, the club owners and managers, they always want to hang with the comedians. So, like, in Chicago, there was, like, this club manager, this club owner who paid you in cash who, you know, was definitely shady. You know what I mean? Like, there was definitely a couple guns in the office. Shady dude, but always paid you great, always in cash money. And like he took me to like some wild Southside Chicago hood party. I go into this party. Next thing I know, I'm like with a girl in a room that looks like it's like a baby's room. There's pictures of babies. I don't know what's <laughs> going on. And there's like a pit bull walking around, and I'm half terrified. But like when you survive those so stories and you like live to tell about them, 
and you write about them and you talk. They're just like, they're just, they enrich your life, man. They do. They don't, you know, listen, a lot of people go right back to the hotel and they go to sleep. I look at life and uh, I was watching a special on Nora Ephron. I don't know why I brought that up, but she said something that was like, everything is copy. Life is to be, you know, everything in life, if you pay attention for an artist, for a comedian, for a writer can be used, you know? So I would just look at things like that. Like, I'm just going to tell that story on stage one day and make it funny, you know? So I would never like deny myself experiences, even though some people would say, yo, maybe you should have denied yourself a couple experiences. So when you're in West Palm Beach, were you just like going to the clubs, the bars, or were you just, where, where how that happened? When I got jumped, I, um, I was doing the Young American Comedy Tour, which ran for two years. I had started a tour on my own. Uh, the Young American Comedy Tour was me, Sebastian, Steve Renazizi, Brett Ernst, Ian Edwards, Bobby Lee. It was like 10 of the best comics at the time in the game that were not famous. Sebastian hadn't blown up yet. Brett hadn't blown up. Tony Rock was on it. I mean, Butch Bradley was on it. Uh, Ruben Paul. We had a beast of a lineup, and I invented the tour. I created it on my own. I, and I, I created it because one day at the comedy store, I had heard that the Kings of Comedy with D.L. Hughley and Bernie Mac and all those guys, somebody told me in passing that they had made like $16 million on the road in a year. And so I'm on the Comedy Store patio one day and I look at Sebastian, I see Brad, I look at Bobby Lee, I see Ren Azizi, and I just say to myself, if those guys made $16 million, we're at least $3 million worth of funny right here. Like we're not, we're not way less funny than those guys. We're not famous and we're not, as well crafted as they are yet, but damn, if we're not three million, we're we're worth at least three million. That was exactly the thought I had, and I asked everybody, "Yo, would you guys be down for a tour if I create this thing and like put some effort in?" And everybody said yes. I went to the owner of the Improv and I went to the Booker Aaron at the Improv and I said, "Hey, here's my concept. What do you think?" And she literally went on her computer, handed me a piece of paper and ten dates. Book me right there. Oh, wow. That's here's your offer. Here's your dates. I didn't know what an offer was. I'd never seen an offer. I just said yes to the money because it wasn't a lot of money. And then I, I just paid everybody. A, I just made us, I gave us all the same amount of money, except I probably took like $600 more than everyone else just because of the work I was putting in. But every, everyone at the time got good money. And I didn't realize that until they off what started headlining on their own. I didn't realize that they were. I was paying them more money as a group than they were getting solo. Oh, wow. I had no idea. And the first time I realized it was when Burt Kreischer, he was on our tour. And when Kreischer went off on his own, he had told me at the time he got like $2,000 or something on his own. I was giving him $1,800. As a group, everyone was getting 1800 So I was like, shit, man. I've like, been overpaying everybody. That was per show, right? Per show. Per weekend, actually. I was overpaying everybody. So I probably overpaid 45, 50,000 by the time this whole tour was done. But it was the greatest learning experience ever. And we ran it for to all 21 different cities in America, two years running. To this day, I still get phone calls that people want to re up the Young American Comedy Tour, even though it's been nine years since I had it. But my point is, we're in West Palm Beach and we're doing. The Improv at City Place in West Palm, and I meet a girl, and of course this is a girl, it's a, it's a girl situation, I get beat up over. So I meet a girl at Starbucks that day with Sam Tripoli, 
and me and Triple are hanging out. We're talking, and I just invite her to the show. Hey, do you like comedy? Cool. We're performing at the Improv. Dope. See you later. Nothing but that. That night we do the show. It's Thursday night. I go on. It's a great night. Me, Rena, Zizi, Tripoli, and I can't remember who else. I think it was just us three. And we do the show, and that girl came to the show with her friend. After the show, she comes. She's like, hey, do you guys want to go next door to the Blue Martini Bar? Cool. Let's do it. We go next door to the Blue Martini Bar. I'm sitting there in a booth. The girl's to my left. Her friend's to her left. Rena Zizi and Tripoli are hanging out. We're all in the VIP section. She's like rubbing my arm and I'm like, in my mind, I swear to God, Dave, I'm thinking like, what a great life. I'm in West Palm Beach, Florida. I'm doing stand-up comedy for my dream. And there's a beautiful girl to my left who I just met who's just uh, who's hanging out. Renazizi goes to the bathroom. Sam Tripoli goes to the dance floor. I'm the only dude in the booth. I'm sitting with the girl and her friend. All of a sudden, bro, out of nowhere, it, and it's dark in the VIP area. I don't even see the guy. All of a sudden, I'm sitting there and it's just... Bam, 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 bam. I start getting lit up in my face. And I'm thinking to myself, am I having a brain hemorrhage? Like, like the I... guy came from behind? No, he came from the side. I was looking this way. He ran from this side and attacked me. So I don't know what is going on. I finally like have enough sense to cover my face and stand up to fight. But I'd already gotten hit like 10 times. Like literally it was out of nowhere. She's screaming and crying to my left. Tripoli sees what's going on, runs over. I stand up like this. I'm getting ready to, to like to fight because I thought I was having a brain. I didn't even know that I was in a fight. I get ready. To, I stand up. He's gone like a ghost. He is gone. I don't see him. I don't see his face. I see nothing. That's cheap. Cheap motherfucker. I don't see shit. I look up. I see a bald head. No joke. Running out of the blue martini bar. I just that's all I see is a bald head guy. I know that bar. Yeah, you know that bar. And I know that guy. I know who he is. <laughs> now I know who he is. I see him running out. So I'm like all messed up. My nose is broken. He chipped my... He, I, I end up with stitches in my face. The girl next to me is screaming, crying. But something about her behavior is making me suspicious like she knows the guy. So I'm like, who was that? Who the fuck? Who was that? And she's like, that was... That was I don't know who that was. And she's like, I don't know. I just saw it out of nowhere. Da, da, da. And her friend is like, she knows who that was. Obviously, it was her ex-boyfriend who was stalking her, who was a, just a loose, you know, just a loose cannon dude, you know, on See, some he, stalking crystal meth shit. I don't know what yeah, he was. Yeah, he wasn't on. even supposed to be there. Wasn't supposed to be there. So I think he knew one of the bouncers. The bouncer let him through. He let him get at me. He got at me. Long story short, I end up in an ambulance. I go to the West Palm Beach Hospital. My godfather, who is in West Palm because he's got a house there, I call him. I call this badass model chick who ended up marrying one of the L.A. Dodgers, but at the time I was sleeping with her. <laughs> I call her because I don't know anyone else around there. Tripoli and Renazizi stay at the club to try to find out who the guy is. They're looking into, like, where is he? How do we find him? What's going on? Get the police. We don't get the guys, the girl's so scared of this guy that we don't get his name for a day. He won't, she won't give up the name until Renazizi and Tripoli basically press her like, yo, you're going to be arrested. My godfather meets me at the hospital. I get stitched up. I go home. I heal up the next day. I can't perform because I got a bandage over my face. I'm fully, I'm covered in a bandage for my nose. I get my bandage on my, and by the way, to this day, I still have nasal problems because of this motherfucker. 
Wow. Yeah, and I don't want to go negative because it's like it's over. <clears throat> I'll even look at his Facebook sometimes. Like he's only he's I know he's living a certain way, and I know he knows now because I had him arrested, and when I got his name, I had him locked up, and I was. So long story short is my godfather said some crazy threatening thing to the owners of the Blue Martini. Within 30 minutes, they had his name, his address. They fired their bouncers. They knew that they messed up bad and were about to get sued. And my godfather doesn't play games. I mean, he was, he's my, you know, my godfather, my dad's best friend, connected badass dude out of Detroit. He was going to, we were going to burn the place down. Let's just say that. (laughs) I hate to say it. If my mom's listening, mom, I know you don't like hearing me talk about negative stories. Just relax. Everything's fine. Um, But anyway, after I get out of the hospital and I find out who he is, we send the police, they arrest him, they lock him up. We set a court date. I'm suing. I'm going to sue him. I'm going to lock him up for a year. I'm going to put him in jail. Um, my bags are packed. A couple months later, my bags are packed. I'm ready to fly to Fort Lauderdale. I'm going to trial, ready for trial. The day before that night, I get a phone call from his lawyer. He doesn't want to go to trial. He wants to cut a deal, a money deal. I come up with a number. I basically take I take my bills, my, my hospital bills, and I quadruple them. And I just think to myself, what is it even worth? The, what, financially, what's it worth for me to get money out of this guy? What's it going to take for me not to go to Miami? And I also thought, I don't want to go to Miami. I don't want to fly there. And what if they find him innocent? What if somehow some trickery happens and the judge yeah. doesn't sentence him? You never know. You never know. And we already know Florida is on some crazy, you know, crazy sh- mentality over there. They got that white trash shit going oh. in certain places. They don't care about you. And if the, he knows the judge and I don't know the judge, I don't believe in the system over there. I take a deal. It totally depends where you are in Florida. Totally. I write a number, a financial number down. They accept it. I sign the paperwork. And he ends up, he gets arrested. They arrest him. But he pleads guilty. But he doesn't get a felony on his charge. But he has to pay me. And every month for a year, I was getting a check from the Florida Department of Corrections from him. So I garnished his wages. I buried him financially. His parents supposedly had to like refinance their house. And... You know, that's just the way it went. And obviously, there was, like, people that were in Florida that love me, that, like, love comedy from different comedian friends that are from... I have friends from Florida. Some very bad people that, like, you know, they, they're they in different c- gangs and clubs and stuff like that. And they started calling me, going, Mike, for this much money, we're going to go get this guy. You're and, like, no, no, no. And it became another <laughs> sad... It became, I just said, no, no, no. No, 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 no. Let karma play out. I want to go just let it all play out. And so I let it go, man. I let it go. Most people wouldn't let that go. A lot of people would not let that go. Friends that you and I know would not let that go. But I was sucker punched out of nowhere. You know, if the dude had a problem with me, I'd have been open to having a like going at it with him straight up or like go talk to me. And I'd say, yo, bro, I just met your girl. I don't know your girl. She's cost me $48 already in Jägermeister and chicken tenders. <laughs> you could take your girl, bro. I don't want her. You know what I mean? But don't come at me and sucker punch me. That's a weak-ass move. That's a punk move. Like, you weren't even looking. That, that is wasn't cheap, looking. cheap shots. Not only wasn't I looking, I thought I got hit with a bat. I actually thought, who in California hates me that sent somebody to Florida to get me? That's what my I was thinking. I'm like, I did nothing wrong. I just had a great show at the improv. I didn't offend anybody in the audience. You know, but... 
looking back and when you start to look at these things, you go, you know what? There's a book called I Killed about Tim Allen and all these old comedians going on the road, Jerry Seinfeld, all those guys. A lot of times they would get in trouble on the road. And it's just because when you're a comedian, it's dangerous, man. You're on your own. There's no security at the stage. It's not rock and roll where you got security, police everywhere. You are one man doing something behind a microphone and you're easily accessible. So I just tried to be smart about the whole thing. And after that moment, I started just going back to my hotel. I was very cautious talking to It changed my whole game of talking to girls on the road. Like, I'm not going at you. Let's, if you come to me, we're going to have a talk. Do you have a boyfriend? Yes? Get out of here. Do you have a husband? Get out of here. Are you single as can be? Well, now you got to yeah. add the, uh, do you have a stalker? Do you have a stalker on possible crystal meth with a tattoo on his <laughs> neck and a shaved head? Do you have that? If you got that, we're, we're not having this. You know what I mean? And so it was a very bad event. And luckily I've come out of it okay with a little bit of PTSD. You know, I've definitely stayed paranoid. And, you know, I went, I always go back to the hotel now and I don't really play games in the streets like that. But it was heavy. It was bad. That was a bad road story, you know? So I've had two bad road stories, but a thousand great road stories, you know? So my, you know, the best moments now are just like kicking it with Saget at the hotel bar, I mean, talking you'll, comedy. You'll have another awesome story from next week, I'm sure, going to Nashville. Yeah, we're going to Nashville. So this podcast will be up, let's see, it'll be up tonight or tomorrow. And Bob and I are going to Nashville Thursday. So this Thursday, uh, this what's the date Thursday, the 1st? So March 2nd, 3rd, and 4th, me, myself, Mike Young, and Bob Saget are playing Nashville Zanies. Zanies in Nashville this weekend. Yep, Thursday's the first. Yeah, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So if you're in or around Nashville, please be safe and come out and enjoy the comedy because life on the road is amazing at times, unpredictable at times. And that's why like, I admire guys like Sebastian. Married, he's got his kid. He goes on the road, he goes to bed. You know, he goes right to bed. Goes to goes home. He's not out in the streets. He's not there's no potential. He cuts down the potential for anything negative. He cuts it down by ninety percent. He's in bed by like ten fifteen. You know? But every comedian who's really done it and been on the road and gone through it, they will tell you stories similar to mine. It's not a standout one in a million story. It happens more often than you think. Um Never know who's heading around the corner. Well, the funniest thing about working with Saget is Bob gives off nothing but love. So nobody ever, he doesn't give off any energy like that. Like nothing happens to him because he just doesn't, he's, he's like, I don't want to say a nerd, but like he's a good, he's a nerd. He's a nerd. He grew up antisocial, nerdy film student. You know what I mean? He wasn't ever in the streets hitting on girls doing that thing. So it doesn't come off. He's non-threatening, you know? So that's not going to happen with him. So, you know, for me, it's like I've just lesson has been learned. But after researching, reading about other comedians, they've all had experiences like this. Steve Burns had it happen. Chrysler's had things happen. Rogan's had things happen. We've all all these guys have had things. I heard stories of D.L. Hughley, you know, on the road back in the day. Hardcore stuff happening. It's all happened. So it's not as rare as you would think. But it's unfortunate that it happened, and it happened to me at a time when like, I did not need that to happen. I went back to Detroit for a while, recovered, came back strong after that, and like, 
you know, it was it, it's tough, man. When you get hit in the, when your face gets hurt, you don't want you never want to get hit in the face again. Yeah, not at all. You, you can't know, even go on stage, can't do anything. It's just paralyzing. So I'm trying to work through all those demons that have come at me, you know. But um, other than that, life on the road has been super cool. And I'll give you one more example because the probably the biggest the biggest audience I played I opened for Russell Peters in front of twelve thousand. Wow. 15,000 people that? in uh, Montreal. We played that arena in Montreal. We played Atlanta, where the Hawks play. We played whatever that arena is called. Phillips Arena. Phil- we played Phillips Arena yeah, that's, that's in front of 12,500 people. We played, um, we played three arenas. And the feeling of playing an arena is bananas because you got to change your whole pacing, you know? So working with Russell on the road was like and he's such a genuine good dude who's like a real dude like we connect on so many levels like he's into boxing and hip-hop and it's like he's like my dude like I love Russell and he was so crazy generous paid you great money you're in front of 15,000 you know what I mean he's got a DJ on stage doing it big but 15,000 you play that crowd and you gotta wait for the laughter to come back because it's like da 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 there's always a delay. It's a delay. You got to change your pacing. It's a crazy experience. Plus, Russell was flying private. So we flew on a private plane to Atlanta, back this way to like San Jose. To, we played Shark Tank Arena where the Sharks play. Um, so that was like the biggest crowd I've ever played. And then I'd say being on the road with Sebastian, he and I did five shows together on a tour bus. 5,000 seaters, including Beacon Theater, where we had a seven-night run at the Beacon Theater in New York City, all sold out. Yeah, I know that theater. Incredible. So I would say those crowds, that feeling of a tightly packed 5,000 seats, Fox Theater, Beacon Theater, Milwaukee's Fox Theater. You know, we did um, Cleveland, Detroit, Milwaukee, Pittsburgh. I forgot. It was like a five days, five cities. Was Montreal the, la- the loudest? Ma, no, Atlanta was the probably the loudest with Russell. That was probably like the loudest. But th- then years later when I opened for Sebastian at those shows, that was like to me like the best I've ever felt on stage. I actually have the video of it. That's something I'm going to send you, Dave. Yeah. I'll give you some cash today. What do I owe you, by the way? Like 50 bucks. 50? I'm going to give Dave his money right now. If we were on video, it would be great. But I'm, <laughs> I'm, giving, I'm handing Dave cash because I owe it to him. Here's 20, Dave. Here's 40. Here's 45. I was going to give you 60, but you know what? You're, what are you doing? Boom. Here's 50 bucks. Okay? Do you want some more? For, do I owe you any more for anything? Okay. There's 50 bucks. Um, I want you to please take that little set that I did in Hermosa that Barry Katz was talking about. Create a link of that set and have a link of Barry's interview, please. That coordinates that we can post up on stories that need to be told. Exactly. Can we do that, please? Yeah. yeah, of course. Do you want me to give you like twenty bucks right now, just to? Does it help to give you like a little? Just does it help? It's up to, it's up to you. I no, love doing no, that I stuff regardless. I don't like doing anything for free, even though I do. But take another twenty just for because I know you're gonna have to. It's gonna take an hour at least. So take hey, that. I believe in paying it. people. Yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, I'll get that up for you. Thank you. Please, I, I would love that. Um, that way we can prove that Barry was talking about me, and that's the set that he was talking about. 
So it's just, I think, a cool little marketing tool, whatever, since I'm terrible at marketing and I don't know anything about these computers and what to do. But, uh, yeah, man, I think, I, think it, it, I think stories on the road, and I'll get, like, some legendary comics in here. Like I said, I never wanted to be dependent for my podcast on, like, other people to come. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to have to depend on a booking. I don't book it. I don't make any money doing this. Like, Joe Rogan makes some, you know, crazy money. Actually, since we put on YouTube, on your next road trip, you should just take little snippets, little videos. Maybe we can incorporate it on the on the video on YouTube and, like, have it switching from the podcast to you being, the road. On, the, to, yeah, to you being on the road with like a small segment. What should I do? Shoot that on my phone? Yeah, just, like, do something. Yeah, to take a yeah. little small video on your phone and see if we can incorporate it on the... Uh, Okay, so starting next week, we are going to be on video on YouTube. So these sessions will be video recorded. And do they put them on YouTube or you put them on YouTube? We put them on YouTube. Yeah, we'd have to put it on uh, your stories that need to be told YouTube channel. Okay. Do we create that or we already have that? No, I can create it like uh, right after this. Oh, my brother called. Should I call him back on the podcast? <laughs> we only have a few more minutes. But we'll talk to my brother real quick. Hopefully everything's all right. When I see my mom and my brother call... it um. Plugs in and gets my brother on. Yo, can you hear me? Oh, I was talking to my yeah, brother. My brother, what up? You're on my podcast right now. What up? Everything good? Yeah, everything's great, man. How you feeling? I feel good. I didn't. I didn't. Oh, hold on, one, Rob. Hold on one second. I'm gonna plug you in. I'm plugging right. you in. Okay, he's in. Oh, there's a lot of static, Mike. Can you hear him? Wait, can you hear my brother? I heard him in the beginning. Yo, Mike, I can't really hear him, but don't worry. I'm just going to put him on speaker. Yo, Rob. Yeah, I'm here. Okay. Um, yeah, I didn't tell anybody on the podcast what happened to me, but because we've been talking about road stories. But since you're on the phone, I might as well tell you straight up. This is my brother, Rob you guys heard on the last two podcasts and people are really loving when my brother comes on because a he puts me in check b nobody knows me better c nobody has a better vibe on like what i should be doing than my brother but over the weekend i had some kind of weird allergy and being that you know i'm also a hypochondriac i don't even know if i told you this dave but like saturday night i'm getting ready to go to the comedy store i come home i put on a new shirt from Nordstrom's that I bought on sale for $39. It was a hoodie. <laughs> it was some kind of weird material, but maybe that wasn't okay. I felt okay. I go to get in an Uber to go to the comedy store. I get in an Uber, a black car with a leather seats. It smells a little like some kind of weird like polish in the Uber or something. Within 20 seconds of being in the Uber, my nose gets stuffed. My eyes get swollen. I start sneezing. I'm having an attack, and my hands and feet are itching. So I tell... You think? I mean, whatever they put on the leather seats is probably whatever it was. And you're a hypochondriac anyway, so your psychosomatic brain kicked in. I. And you became allergy. You became allergic to all that stuff. Literally became allergic. I, I had the Uber turn around, took me home. I popped a Claritin D immediately. I took a shower. I was in a panic state, even though I actually was starting to feel better pretty much immediately. In my mind, my in my mind, not in my body, my throat was going to close up and I wasn't going to be able to breathe, even though I was breathing 100% fine. I walked to the emergency room. I called my cousin. 
I went to emergency. I called my boy, who's a doctor. They actually got me right in a room. The doctor's like, right away, is like, your breathing is at 100% capacity. You're 100% fine. I think you just need a Benadryl. I'm like, please check. I think my throat's going to close up. They're like, well, is it closing up? I'm like, no, but it, it's going to. <laughs> They're like, no, it's not. Because if you would have had an anaphylactic reaction, your throat would be closing. So you were just allergic to something in the Uber. And so I think you're right. I think that's what it was. But whatever it was, it happened so fast. I'd never had anything like that before. You know? Right. Did, did you hit the buzz before you went out? No. Nope. No. Why? No. Because sometimes you get a little, you know, you get a little hypersensitive sometimes. No, I did not hit. I did not smoke pot. I did not do anything. I might have touched a bud physically, uh -huh. like touched now one. We're no, did not. Well, I might have had a. Actually, I threw the deer antler out, but I might have had a little antler in the morning. But the antler's <laughs> not gonna. Coffee? What is that? The antler doesn't do anything, bro. Deer antler is uh -huh. what I take sometimes for working out. And by the way, I wish I was uh -huh. on it now because I wouldn't have hurt my back while when I steam kale. <laughs> Rob, I, tw I, tw I tweaked my back today, and I'm not even doing my bit. I, I tweaked my back putting kale in a pot i was i was steaming kale i turned to the left and put the kale in i tweaked yep. it a little bit but i'm fine i'm fine um but you're, you're six foot one with bitch tendencies i'm six one can <laughs> box really well can fight really well but i have a yeah. bitch sensitive side that i cannot even deny it's just a fact you've been, you've been in like gang fights before and then you stub your toe and you're down for the I've literally been beat up in an organized crime situation, and then I pulled my back out, dropping kale into a pot. Hey, th those foot pains hurt. You forgot that your face was all blown out from the fight, and you're like, I can't believe I just pulled a muscle in my back. Right. I pulled a muscle in my back, it makes me not even care about my blown out face. You could have yeah. had happen what happened to me when I was leaving goal one day. What happened to you? I was walking Rob, with... say what up to Stock Tip Dave. What's up, Stock Tip Dave? Not much. How are you? I'm doing good, man. Just driving around the D. Nice. No, no, so like one day I left goal, I was going across a crosswalk, it was perfectly fine, and then the last lane was like the turning lane, the dude zooms up and freaking nails me in the in the crosswalk, and I'm wearing uh, sandals, and so it stubs my toe into the concrete, so those things can hurt, yeah. less than months. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Those things can hurt. Yeah, bro, you got hit by a car, you're lucky you're alive, and you only got a stub toe out of it. I know. Rob, what's going on in Detroit? We were talking about stories. I was talking. This whole podcast has been about the difference between being on the road with like Rogan, Chappelle, Attell, Sebastian, or Saget. You know what I mean? Like the different vibes of being on the road and the different crowds that you get in front of, and you know the different right. experiences of being on the road, and and you know, difference. Right. Just all that. So it's been a cool. You're right. you're calling at the, at the at the one hour point, but um everything cool. Yeah, I talked about Tony. I talked about Tony. I talked about the Young American Tour having Tony on it. Tony is family. And the funniest, by the way, I've opened for Tony 20 times. I end up becoming his big brother on the road <laughs> because Tony is so, he's next level. You think I wander into the streets and have fun at night? He doesn't have any breaks on. He goes out and has fun with everybody, shakes hands, kisses babies, goes to an after party, gets on a microphone. But the funniest thing about Tony is when he drinks, he will just like, we'll be in a car at a red light. He'll just be like, I'm walking home. Tony will pop out of a car and just start walking <laughs> for no reason. So 
that Tony is definitely his own special road character for sure. Tony just loves fresh air too. Oh, loves fresh air. He's coming back to Detroit in April around my birthday time. Yeah, I hit him up last night actually. I told him I want to go on a show, that uh, Blackheart show, his television show that he hosts. What is it? It's um, it's on BET. It's I don't know. I I, I don't know. I just hit him up last night. Said I need to be on. You need to have more white people on that show. Did he write you back? He hit me back. He's like, that's a great idea. And then he told me he's going to be in uh, Detroit. What's the, I don't understand. What's the show? What do they do on that show? It's called Blackheart. I think it's called Blackheart. It's, some of, it's a funny show. It's actually really good. He hosts it. It's all about your, your urban, everything urban life. You know, anything like you finish a sentence. Like, I love collard, you know, a black person with no greens. Oh, a white right. person might say collared shirt. You know what I mean? So Oh. Are they are there white are there are there white people on the show or not at all? I haven't seen I haven't seen any. I think the funny thing would be like to to have you know right, me run out and come back. Flip Go. the script on them. Right, right, right. I got you. I got you. I don't know. I don't know. I got I got more I, I think I got more urban in me than some of his guests. <laughs> <laughs> you definitely uh I mean you definitely have you definitely have the street credibility for it. That's for damn sure. Yep, definitely. So that's 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 what the idea for uh for the movie I want to do. That's that Ian inspired. Hold on one sec, Dave. You can go do your car. I'll go ahead. Um, that movie that I want to do with Ian, I'm gonna I want to pitch to Netflix. Actually, I'm gonna pitch to pitch to my boy Stuber. Yeah, it's a great <laughs> idea. Stuber would love it too. I bet. Totally. Um, are you in Are you in stock? Do I know Stock Tip Dave? Have we ever met? Have you met my I brother, like Dave? I- no, I've, I've no he's never met you. Stock Tip Dave is our friend. You know, he used to hang at Goal, and he used to give everyone stock tips. And he's just a funny little dude who's just a non-threatening entity into <laughs> a, our world. And I, he's a great sidekick because he really doesn't say much unless you ask him. And he keeps the ball rolling. And I got him. I hired him to do some, like, Internet stuff, some editing, some uh, putting files up. You know what I mean? Just, like, some cool... Side stuff. I got stories, but they're mostly random, and they would be out of left field for the most part. Exactly. You can feel who he is now. Go ahead, Dave. Put meter. Put money in your meter. All right. I'll be right back. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so, nice to meet you, Dave. Yeah. So yeah. So Dave's like a perfect little. He's a perfect little sidekick, bro. You know what I mean? I literally. He's like a tech wizard. So I'll give him like a link and say, can you please put this up on stories that need to be told? And can you edit this? And can you take this show and connect it to this? And I'll just give him some, throw some cash and. You know, it's just a good deal. <laughs> yeah, cash is king. That's king. great. Yeah. Yo, so, so I'm, uh, yeah, I just left downtown. Downtown's great. Um, I just ran into all the construction guys down there that are building the Hudson site. I walked into their meeting, and um, it was great. They made a nice introduction and was like, this is Robert Young. He's the guy that brought us the well standard people. So that's a that they that, that was what they wanted to tell me. And they're like, it's done, we're in, it's, we're doing it, it's all good, it's great. So that was kind of a cool thing, and uh, yeah, I was just visiting people all day. And right, do I do I, yo, yo, I don't need to bring this up on the thing, but like, are we all good over there with the well standard? Are we good? Yeah, yeah, we're gonna be fine. No, no, no I'm not, ki- I'm not kidding, because the the more the less I hear from people, the more weird I get. Yeah, don't get weird. That's just the, the you don't need to get weird. Just relax. Everything's gonna be okay. Everything's right. good. 
Money's you know, being transferred yet? Um, I don't think so. No, no. Right. They just they agreed to they agreed to implement it. So once they start to get into it and they start to build on it, that's a whole other level. Right. Okay. They broke they broke ground on the property, but it's you know it's it's all about the HVAC and the lighting and the water and the. VOCs, things that are way beyond your capacity to understand right now. No, but I'm, I don't. I don't care about any of that. I just want to know that when it starts going and money changes hands, we're involved in everything. That's all I care about. Right, but your listeners might be interested. Well, no, our listeners. Yeah, I'll tell my. We got. Listen, if you guys want to deal with the with Delos and the Well Standard, they are implementing the healthiest, greatest commercial. Uh, yo, bro, what is that noise? Please, what is it? That's Loud. Yeah. Cam, I'm doing a podcast with Uncle Mike right now. Can you keep it down? Oh, that's my nephew Cameron. What up, Cam? Did you guys have a game today? No, no, no. Hold on. He's getting in right now. Cam's oh. in the car now. He's getting in. What up, Cam? Uncle Mike, he's doing a podcast right now. Say hi. What's up, Uncle Mike? Cam, how are you? Good. Just chilling. Good. I miss you, bro. Do you have practice today? Uh, yeah, I do. We're going right now. Yo, oh. let me tell you how great Cameron is. I got to drive him to hockey right now. He comes out with two bottles of water, one for me, one for him, and he made me a sandwich because he knows I've been working all day. That's a, that's a great... He really made me a, a beautiful sandwich. I appreciate that, son. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's my 16-year-old nephew, badass AAA hockey player. You're going to be hear, hear much more about him. You'll see him. Rob, starting next week, Stories That Need to Be Told goes video. I made it back. So we have, we have cameras in here that are going to go video. So we're going to have our own YouTube channel, and you'll be able to actually watch this. But what Get the fuck out of here. What about, what about the one you're interviewing somebody yeah, yeah, like me? Well, no, I can't. Am I ha- able to go viral? Yeah, you're able to go viral if you go FaceTime with me. So if I FaceTime oh, you, yeah. boom, you'll be on FaceTime, but I won't be able to like... Well, I can bring have a laptop a, and you can do like the... Uh, oh, we could have you on a laptop. So you could be like a, a talking head. <laughs> but yeah, we can do that. Um, but what I was going to tell you, Rob, and I'm going to bring it full circle and we're about to wrap up here anyway because it's been an hour. Um, yeah. But uh, last night I go to KLOS Studios to do radio and Barry Katz is there. Now, do you remember the name Barry Katz, this comedy manager who was in Montreal the first time I ever did Montreal, and you were there? And he's a, yeah. le- he's a legend, Barry Katz. They, they roasted him yeah. that year. He managed Chappelle. He managed Attell. He managed uh, Dane Cook. Yeah, he's big. He's a legend in the game. He's, he, he's, he's in the hallway. On my life, bro, he sees me. He goes, Mike Young, can I tell you something? I said, yeah. He said, I was at your show Friday night in Hermosa. You stole the show. You're a genius comedian. What you're doing is incredible. Do you mind if I talk about you when I go on the air? Because he was the first guest on the radio show, and I was the third. So I said, of course, man, go on. He goes on the radio, bro, on KLOS, and he starts telling the audience that, Mike Young is, if you don't know him, you have to see him. He is telling his truth on stage. If you don't know what makes comedian, what makes a great comedian, it's the ones that tell the truth. And he goes on and on about how out of the 10 comedians, I stole the show. And it was the most complimentary like moment on radio that I've ever had. It was crazy. And beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Well, I almost cried. If I had real emotions on the inside, I would have cried. It was unbelievable what he was saying, and I'm gonna get. I'll get the link so you can hear it because you'll appreciate it. But that's how we kicked off the podcast. Was just 
you know, talking about that experience and having somebody else who's got, you know, legendary eyes and ears of the game kind of just pay a little cool tribute to what he saw the other night. Well, that's a definition of doing well by doing good. Yeah, and he's and it's crazy because he knew about my career. You know, you think people don't know you. Like, you just think if you don't talk to him, what does he know? Like, I don't, do we even know each other? And he started, he's like, dude, I remember when you had this deal, you know, you had three deals in five. He goes, Mike Young had three deals in five years. And then, you know, but he wasn't ready yet. He wasn't ready. He goes, he wasn't ready. He His voice wasn't ready yet. He didn't have the emotional intelligence yet. It was early in his career. He kept getting these deals and and then he went away for a while and then it's, he's like it's like louis anderson he's like you didn't hear about louis anderson for 12 years and all of a sudden he gets on baskets and wins an emmy it's like uh you know he used a bunch of examples of guys who like start off hot and then like boom you go away for a while you don't know what's going on but you stay the course and it was just like a, a lesson in staying the course stay the course just stay the course and everything will work out so now you follow up with them Oh, are you kidding? Of course, I already did that, bro. I hugged him for a half hour. Are you uh, it was ridiculous, you know. I want, yeah, I want, yeah. I'll let him come on board and help produce this a special. You know what I mean? Like he's produced Netflix specials. You know what I mean? Movies. He's a legend. He's the guy's a legend. It's like having you know Dave Becky on. You know, they've seen Absolutely. it. They've seen but it all. Like that, you don't let, you're not gonna let a guy like that do it. He's gonna want to do it. Only because he believes in you, and so you go, you ask him if he would do it, you like a gentleman, and see if he would be interested in doing it. And he's probably got ten different ideas of the ways to do it that maybe you haven't even thought of yet. And then you let him steer that ship in that way because the guy's got you know a plethora of experience, a wealth of knowledge, and more importantly, he's got a big heart that cares about you and your well-being. So yeah. you, you, that's that, those are the kind of guys you align yourself with. That, that is a sweet story, brother. Yeah. All right, yo, go to hockey practice. And uh, Cam, how you feeling? You feeling strong? You good? You well rested? I'm pretty tired, actually. Why? Not a lot of sleep last night, or what's up? Uh, one day in school, I guess. We watched the Olympic closing ceremonies last night. Oh, okay. So it was a late night for you guys. Uh, yeah, I guess so. All right. Well, yo, I love you guys. I'm out. Um, I'm going to wrap this up. I'll call you later. Everything cool? Mom's good? Yeah, mom's good. I'm going to call her right now. Call her. I know she went swimming today, so I want to hear about that. Yeah, me too. That's a good one to get on the podcast, Mom, on the swimming thing. For sure. We'll put her on next week. Her per- mom's perspective from water. <laughs> Fish mom. All right. I love you. I'll talk right. to you later. Love you. Uh, Stock tip Dave. It was a pleasure, man. Thank yeah, you. Nice meeting you. All right. All right. Goodbye. Right. Like love you. That was family right there. My nephew's playing high-level hockey. The kid's 16 years old, playing AAA, killing the game. And he's a little fella. You know, he's little. He's the smallest one on his team. You should put him in my boarding school. They breach hockey players to the NHL. What, what school? What school? Uh, Cushing Academy. Where is that? It's in Western Massachusetts. Is that a college? No, it's a boarding school that basically is like one of the top hockey schools in New England. Really? Yeah. Called Cushing? Yeah. I'm going to have him look into it. Cause he, actually- well, he's about to be a junior. In high school, so I don't know if you know if he'd want to transfer, but he's so damn well, serious junior, about hockey. Senior and PG, like um, post grad. Yeah, and like someone who's on the women's Olympic hockey team that won a gold medal. Yeah, she graduated from Cushing in two thousand six. Damn, 
okay, so that's that's real. You see these kids now, they're playing high level. I never got to his level. I was never as good as my nephew, ever. Yeah, if you know the name Tom Pody or uh, Bob Allen, I think they all went to Cushing. Yeah, I, I'll look into it. Thanks. But uh, <laughs> anyway, yo, any stock tips for the audience, Dave? Anything working for you? How'd the uh, marijuana stocks in Canada do for you? Are they okay? Um, they're, I, they're at a standstill right now because they're trying to figure out what's going on because the delay in Canada, I think, I believe it got delayed from July 1st as being recreational legal to August. And so... I don't expect to see much from those until the summertime, but I bought them with a long-term view anyways. Like, okay, you're keeping long-term. Yeah, because they said you'll get full potential like 2021 when it's you know it's producing like all kinds of money. Like you go to the, the stores here, they're getting like $10 of tax money per purchase pretty much right now. Like Damn. You, like you get $55 worth of stuff and you end up paying $64 because that's how high the taxes are with the medical card. Oh, wow. Okay. So California will never be in debt again. So it's only a matter of time before all those stocks just skyrocket and Exactly. All right. So stick with the marijuana in Canada. Look up those stocks. It's going to go big one day eventually. Maybe look at a few Australia because I know with Jeff Sessions' announcement, they say Canada and Australia might be the top two in the, in the world. As right. Far as that industry. Okay. Interesting. Um, all right. Well, yo, this is Mike Young. This has been Stories That Need to Be Told. Find me on Instagram at the real Mike Young. Stock Tip Dave is sitting across from me. You're going to see him next week. You're going to see Dave. You're going to see me. It's going to be fun to do video. It's going to be awesome. I'm excited You know what? I don't it. even care about making money on this thing. It's just fun to get shit off your chest. Stories that need to be told. Reach out to me at the Real Mike Young on Instagram. Find me on Twitter at Real Mike Young. Say whatever you want. If you got any requests or you got any great stories that you know you want, you think need to be told, I'm open. And we're just having fun. And now I'm heading back into the cave to uh, write my movie Swipers. All right. We'll see you soon. Dave see you. read it. Yes, it's All right, fun. peace. Stories that need to be told. We're out. See you later.